Now we're all set. All right, here we go. Now we can finally go into 1 John chapter 4. So um, let me just give you an idea of where we've been so far. John has been, been talking about a lot of different topics. He's been talking about salvation. He's been talking about walking in the light, having fellowship with God. He's been talking about Christ being our advocate. Um, we've been discussing the evidences of genuine faith, what that looks like. And, and John has been going somewhere with all of these things. John has been pushing to, to one central point, it seems like. Okay? John has been pushing to a central point in his writing. And, and as we look at chapter 4 this morning, we begin to see the heart of John. The heart of John on clear display as he lovingly and personally addresses his audience this morning. He has two main points. I'll give you those at the beginning so we have an idea of where we're going. He has two main points in this section. Number one, if you have an ESV Bible, it clearly separates it for you. But number one is to test the spirits. And number two, and probably the most pivotal point in his entire work, in his entire letter, is the concept of love. And closely associated with his second point are, are several applications to the believers that I want to make this morning and I think will, will personally relate to all of us in here. But before we get started this morning, I think it's good that we ask the Lord to, to help us and we pray and, and may the Spirit enlighten our hearts. So, so pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn from it. Thank you that it is profitable for us. And I pray that you would use it this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit to, to illumine our hearts to wonderful truth that we find in your word. And Lord, may you be glorified and may you be praised as we study your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, let, let's jump right into this. Testing the spirits. Now there's a reality that we've already talked about in the context of 1 John. Okay? The reality is this, that there was a lot of spiritual deception in the time period that John is writing to. All right? The believers whom he's writing to, there's, there's a significant amount of spiritual deception, false prophets infiltrating the church. Okay, this is the reality that is being faced. And what is John's response to this? He's already encouraged believers to abide in truth, but he gets even more specific here. He says in, ver in chapter 1, uh, sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Okay, so number one, do not believe every spirit, but instead do what? To test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. And why are we doing this? Well, look, keep looking. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, so what John is saying is, because all these false prophets with false ideas of Christ have gone out into the world, because of that, test these spirits. Don't just, don't just give in, don't just believe all of them, but test them. Be very intentional about, about believing them. The idea of test here has a couple different ideas, but, but let, me let, me, let me show it like this. Test means to allow, to discern, to examine, and to um, approve. So if I'm to examine and approve whatever spirits, whatever ideas are being, are being uh, pushed out into that culture. Now, let me make a quick note about something that we, we see in 1 Corinthians that, that Paul makes a point of. Um, and that's the, the concept of spiritual gifts, okay? Now, there's a spiritual gift mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, of spirit discernment. Now, just a quick point of this, I don't think Paul is referring to that specific idea, or I don't think John is referring to the specific idea of spiritual discernment as being a spiritual gift, um, but rather he's, he's, he's appealing to a general, the general group of believers to hold close to the truth, okay? So this is for, for all the believers in his, in his company. All right, I just want to make a quick note of that, but, but there's another very, very important point that I want to make 
And it's actually the very first word that we see in chapter 4, the word beloved. Okay? This is a very, very important word that John uses quite frequently in his writing, beloved. And this is actually the fourth time that he's used this word so far in his letter. And he's actually going to use this word beloved three other times in this chapter. Now, what, is, what does this word mean? Beloved, is, is, it's as if you're referring to a close companion or a friend. Beloved, my dear friends. It's as if John is saying that to this congregation. And every time that John uses the word beloved, you'll notice that, that a very important truth is about to follow. He, whenever John, it's like John is speaking and speaking and speaking and telling all these truths, and then he, he pauses. It's as if he, he clears his mind, clears his throat, and then says, beloved. And what follows is a very, very important truth. But to help us understand it a bit more, let, let me take, I think, a few creative liberties here. And I think it's appropriate. I don't think it's um, anti-biblical here. But let me, let me read this for you in attempts to help us understand the meaning of this phrase, OK? It's as if John is saying this. <clears throat> listen, listen, my dear friends. You all have a lot on you right now. You are being persecuted for your faith. faith you're being tossed back and forth with the culture around you. And on top of these, all these surmounting pressures facing you, false ideas of the gospel are plowing their way into your lives. Listen, listen, my good friends, I care enough about you to tell you this. Test those spirits. Not all of them are true. In fact, many of them are quite false. They present a false view of God, a false view of Christ. They are anti-Christ. And here is how you know if they are true or false. I'm going to give you a list of these things because, because, believers, I know how important it is to abide in truth. So here are some criteria for evaluating the teaching that you are facing in your day. Okay, you, you can kind of hear the, the heart of John, even with this one word, beloved, my dear friends, listen closely. Now, what, are the t what is the test that John gives? He tells us to test the spirits. And we read about the test in verses 2, 3, 5, and 6. The first test is found in verse 2. Look what it says. By this you know the Spirit of God. All right, so the Spirit of God is this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that spirit, okay, the one that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. So number one, if the spirit confesses that Jesus Christ is from God, then the spirit is from God. All right, but, but look in verse 3. Verse 3 says this. In every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God, then that is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the, the second test is, if the spirit does not confess that Jesus Christ is from God, then therefore it is a spirit of the Antichrist. All right? Now, Antichrist doesn't necessarily mean one specific individual. In fact, most translations will not include an article in front of the word Antichrist. So it's, it, more likely it's referring to a system, an idea of believing, rather than one specific person, individual, whether it be a person, uh, a human, or spiritual entity. So he's talking about a group of people, a group, a group of false prophets who are anti-Christ. They don't believe. And John presents a test in that those first two, in verse 2 and 3, about how to evaluate if those spirits, those false, uh, those, those prophets, I should say, are true or if they are false. But moving on, moving on um, in verse 4, John tells us how to overcome a false prophet, a false spirit. And what does he say? Look in verse 4. This is, this, is, this is incredible. He says again, little children, all right, a very personal address here. Little children, you are from God, 
and have overcome them, overcome the false prophets. Then he says this, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay, let's stop there. John gives us an amazing truth right here that, that helps believers, the believers of that day, and frankly, it helps us drastically. What does he say? He who is in you, all right, the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this concept before. As believers, we objectively already have the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts. So he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, is greater than Satan, the, the ruler of, of the hearts of those people in the world. He rules the, the hearts of worldly individuals, these false prophets. And what John is saying is this, the Holy Spirit believer who is inside of you is far, far greater than the spirit of the world, than the power of Satan. Holy Spirit is greater than Satan. So, so let me ask you this, believers, okay, bring it, bring it here. Does sin ever feel overpowering to you? Okay, rhetorical question. And if you answer no to that, I might want to come check your pulse later, okay? Sin often feels overpowering. Temptation often feels overpowering. But, but remember the reality, remember the truth that John gives to us here, that we are to take advantage of the power of grace that is available to you through the Holy Spirit, who, like John says, is far more powerful than the sinful powers that you're facing in your life. What, what an amazing truth. That, that the, Although the, 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 the powers of Satan are strong, the powers of God, the powers of the Holy Spirit living inside of you are far, far greater than that. What an incredible reality. And there's one final test that John gives in verses 5 and 6. So look there real quick. We'll, we'll briefly touch on that, then move on. 5 and 6, and, and to summarize this, he says, the, the final test here is that do the recipients, do they care about the things of God? Do they listen? Does, does the thing, do the things of God stick with them? Okay. Let's read verses 5 and 6. They are from the world. Therefore, they, the false ideas, the, the false prophets, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So a worldly person will listen to the things of the world. But in contrast, we are from God. Verse 6. Whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John gives us one final test here. So John, very personally, he comes to his audience and he says, listen, believers, listen to me. Listen, my close friends. Don't fall prey to these false prophets. Test them to see whether they are from God or not. But believers, remember, even though there is a lot of, there is a lot of false ideas permeating the church, you have a power inside of you that is far greater than any of the false spiritual powers that you're facing today. So let that be an encouragement for you. So number one, test the spirits. But number two, John is getting to a point, and, and I would actually call this almost his thesis for the entire book of 1 John. I, I would argue that. And that is the concept of love. So point number two, love. Now John is going to touch on the origin of this love and the application of this love in verses 7 through 21. And like I said, I think this is the central point of his entire letter. I think everything he's is pushing to this point. All right? Now, as we begin talking about love, it's probably good to try to define love, or at least think about how to define love. All right? And as, as any good scholar does, um, I Googled it. Right? So I went to Google, and I Googled, what is love? And it turns out I'm not the first person to do this. Okay? Um, it's actually a, a fairly frequently searched <laughs> topic. Um, and, and I found a couple different things on Google, all right? The very first thing that pops up, the very first definition I saw was this, an intense feeling of deep affection, 
Okay? It's either, either used in a noun or a verb form. The second definition I saw was a great interest or pleasure in something, also used in a noun or verb form. Um, further research brought me to Utah State University. Okay? And um, they, it was actually their health department, they put an article out back in, I think it was, yeah, February 10th, 2023, which you'll notice is four days before what important holiday? Valentine's Day, okay. So it's kind of fitting that they talk about love four days before Valentine's Day. They wanted to make people aware of what they were going to be celebrating. Um, and, and they actually defined, they, they separated love into four different categories. And, and this is, I'm just saying what they said, okay. The first category of love is this idea of eros love, all right. And this is an intimate love, it's a passionate love, um, it's typically sexual in nature. The second category was storge love, okay. And this is a love of parents for their children. Okay, so a parental love. A third category that they listed was philea love, which is a love of friends and equals. The fourth category they had was agape love. And some of these words sound familiar to us. And this was a selfless love for all of mankind. And what you notice is each of these categories has a different, a different level, a different value of love, different quantity of love. And the very first category, you have a large quantity of love for one specific person. The second category, storge love, you have the same amount of love, but it's divided up between multiple people in your family, all right? Phileo love, you have the same quantity of love, but it's dispersed to all of your friends and all of your equals. And then the final category, agape love, selfless love for all of mankind, the same love is dispersed to all of mankind. So what does that say about the amount of love you give to each individual, okay? Each category has a different level of love, and I don't want to get too deep into this. I just want to tell you what they said, what of the world defines as love, how they try to describe it. But let me ask you this question. How does the Bible define love? Because we probably should go to the Bible, right? How does the Bible define love? Is, is that how the Bible defines love? Well, let, let's, let me remind you of a truth. As we approach the concept of love, and I'm getting somewhere with this, okay, so hold on. As we approach the concept of love and as we seek to define it, I want to remind you of a truth that is critical to not only understanding love, but actually everything of the Christian faith. This is the truth that completely governs our reality. Here it is. The Bible is true. The Bible is truth, okay? Jesus talks about this in John 17, 17. We are subject to this truth first and foremost. As a believer, everything we do flows from the truth of the Word of God, right? And so how does this affect our definition of love? Let me also mention one other thing, and then we'll get into... 1 John. Don't worry, we're going to come back to 1 John, okay? Oftentimes, we have, we have almost an incorrect view of God's characteristics, okay? Let me, let me try to explain this. We look at God, and we want to define God and define some of his characteristics. So what we do is we, we come over here, and we look, at, we look at some terms, all right? We look at grace, and we look at mercy, and we look at love, and we look at these things over here, and we, we try to define them, we define them, and then we look at God, and we say, okay. And we look at the Bible, and we say, okay, we can, we can see, I can see grace in the Bible. I can see God being gracious in this area, this area, this area. And so let's take this concept of grace, and let's, let's throw it at God, and let's make it stick. Okay. And let's take mercy, okay? We look in the Bible, and we see, oh, God is merciful here, and he's merciful here, and God is also merciful here, and okay, let's, let's throw mercy at God, and, and we'll make it stick. And then, and then love, the same thing about love, here, 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 okay. God is loving. And in the end, we, we, we see that God is gracious, God is loving, and God is merciful. All right? Those are just three examples. 
Now, I, I, I don't want to say that's completely incorrect, but I think we're missing a whole lot about God here. It, it's as if, it's as if um, pretend on the windowsill over there there's an apple, okay? And I have a shotgun, and in my shotgun there's this stuff called birdshot, right? Birdshot, a bunch of tiny little pellets. And I want to shoot that apple with some birdshot, and, but I aim about a foot to the left. Now, with birdshot, it spreads out so much that it, it will still hit the apple. We'll still kind of nick it. We'll just still do a little bit of damage, all right? But we're not nearly as effective, effective as if we were aiming directly at it, okay? And this is kind of what we get at here. We, we look at God, and we look at his characteristics, and, and we say, oh, God is merciful, and God is loving, and God is gracious, and, and all these things, and that's good, but we're missing something. We're missing a bigger point. The point is this, we don't define God based on our human terms, okay? We define our human terms based on God himself. And, and this is what John is attempting to do here in chapter 4. All right, so verse 7, this climactic point. Let, let me show you what John is doing here. John is not merely defining love for us. John is showing us what love looks like. And it's far more powerful. What does he say? Verse 7 and 8. Beloved, here we see the word beloved again. Here it is, second time. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because this, because God is love. John is not defining love. He is showing us what love is. And he says that love is, or, or he says that God is love. Okay, it, it's not that it's not as if we can define God as being loving. That is true, but it's far more powerful. We can define love as being God himself. God is love. Now, how does that change our perspective? Now, now John keeps showing us what this love is. He says, God is love. He doesn't stop there. He actually gives us a picture of what this looks like. So, so keep reading. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 and 10. Here it is. In this, in this thing, the love of God was made manifest. Here it is, among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this, in this, believers, is love. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be a propitiation for our sins. John shows us what love is, and he gives us an example of this love, a picture. A picture is worth, what, a thousand words? Okay. The love of God was shown as God sent his son into the world. That is how we look at love. That is how we see love. Now, now a few weeks ago, we, we touched on the concept of propitiation. And I'll be honest with you, I, I did it a complete injustice. And it, it wasn't um, the complete picture. Okay, so, so I want to take one second and maybe just illustrate for you this concept here and to drive home this point that God is love. Okay, so, so think with me for a second. Um, I have a cup here, all right? It's a cup of coffee, and it's good. It's 12 ounces, all right? And um, many of you already have cups of coffee with you. So pretend, though, I give you an empty cup. I give all of you an empty cup of coffee, or an empty just cup, okay? Styrofoam, beautiful design. It's great. Now, this is, this is one beverage container I have. I also have another beverage container over here. It's actually a big jug. And this jug is really magical, okay? This jug is an infinite, it has an infinite volume to it. But just for the sake of the illustration, I can pick it up and I can pour it, all right? Um, 
So, so let's say this. I give all of you a cup, and then I proceed to pour whatever beverage from that jug, let's say it's water, into each one of your cups. Okay? Now that's a tangible amount of water that I put into your, into your cups. How much water do I have left in that jug? An infinite amount. Oh, wow, this is crazy. All right? So let's get bigger. All right? So we're going to fill... We're going to fill this entire room from wall to wall, back to back, with, with these cups, side to side to side to side to side. You know like those senior pranks that some people do in high schools, right? And they like put cups in the hallway and fill them with water? Yeah, we're going to do that in here. Not really. Imagine we take that same container of water and pour it into every single cup in the room. That's a lot of water. It's a tangible amount. How much water do I have left? Infinite amount. Wow, you guys are good. All right? We're going to fill this entire building, okay? But, but we're going to go bigger than that. We're going to go into the parking lot. Everybody look in the parking lot, okay? We're going to fill that entire parking lot out there with, with cups, side by side. We're going to fill them all with water. Guess what? We still have an infinite amount. Let's get bigger, all right? We're going to fill the entire, entire surface area of Liberty with cups. How much water do we have left? Okay, how about the entire valley? This is a big valley here, right? Infinite amount of water still. How about the entire state of Utah? How about the entire continent of North America? How about the entire world? Guess how much water we still have left? Man, we have an infinite amount of water left. Some people would be really happy. Think of it like this. We have sinned against an infinite God. And when you sin against an infinite God, that deserves infinite wrath. And it's just. This is very just. Sin against an infinite God deserves an infinite amount of wrath. And what we do is, is God has his wrath, he is infinite, and that has, to be, that has to be satisfied in some way. And so all these beverage containers are like us. We cannot contain the wrath of God, no matter how, many, how much we try, no matter how many people there are in this world. We can never contain the infinite amount of God's wrath. But what can contain that? What can contain the infinite amount of God's wrath? What can satisfy the infinite amount of God's wrath? And that is an infinitely, infinitely equal-sized container. Okay, let's make this reality. What did God do? How did God show his love? What does he, what does he do? God sent his son. Look in verse 9. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. What did God do? God sent his son into the world. Fully God infinite, fully man, comes into the world, lives a perfect sinless life, shows us how to live, but most importantly, dies on a cross for our sins. And in doing so, what happened? The infinite wrath of God was, was poured out into Christ. Not into us, but into Christ. And as that happened, the in infinite amount of God's wrath was poured into an infinite container. And Christ took that wrath upon himself. So we did not. He satisfied the wrath of God. That's the idea of propitiation. There's a satisfaction taking place. Believers, that is love. That's love. You can try to define love, but you look at Christ, you look at God, you look at the gospel, that's love. That's far more powerful than any definition that we could ever have. So we define love not on the basis of our own human understanding and not on our own definitions, but we instead define love in God. And we define love in 
the picture of the gospel in the gospel itself, in Christ. So what does this do? What does this mean? God loves us. Okay, so what? Applications to this love. What does John say? Look at verse 11. <laughs> beloved. We see the word beloved again. One, two, three times. This is the third time we've seen the word beloved. My dear friends, listen to me. If God so loved us, what does he say? We ought also to love one another. Okay, we have this perspective of God's love. And because of God's love, listen, beloved, you are to love others now. Because of this, love. Because of God's love, love others. So number one, we, we see actually five different applications here. And I'll go through these really quickly. Number one is love. Love others the same way that Christ loved you. And love, love others with a motivation because God loved you. So love sacrificially, like Christ did. And love first. Like the passage says, God loved us before we ever loved him. So love others first. Love others, don't, don't just wait for people to love you before you love them. No, no, show the love of Christ and, and love others first. Second application that we see, to dwell and to abide. We see this in verse 13 and verse 16. We are to abide in God. By this we know that we abide in him, verse 13, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Down to verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in that love abides in God, and God abides in him. So the second application is to dwell in God, to abide in God. Draw near to God. James talks about this in James chapter 4. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So number two, dwell and abide in God. Number three, confess and acknowledge. Now John is writing to his audience who, who is, is facing false teaching, remember? And so they are to acknowledge what? To confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Look in verse, uh, verse 15. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And in doing so, you're actually proving that you are of God. Back to verse 2 and verse 3. So we have love. We have to dwell and to abide. Number three, to confess and to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Number four, though, boldness. Look in verse 17 and 18. What does this love produce? By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but what? But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Love is an affection. Sorry, let me, let me say this. Love is not an affection that produces fear. Love is not a, an affection that produces fear. In fact, quite opposite. Albert Barnes in his New Testament commentary said this. He would, he would have no fear of death, for he would have nothing to dread beyond the grave. Okay, here it is. It is guilt that makes people fear what is to come. But he whose sins are pardoned and whose heart is filled with the love of God has nothing to dread in this world and the world to come. Let me say that one more time. But he whose sins are pardoned and whose heart is filled with the love of God has nothing to dread in this world and the world to come. See what having love in your heart does? It produces confidence for the future. And number five, love. So, so we've seen love. We've seen to dwell, to abide. Number three, to confess, to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Number four, a boldness that is produced because of this love. But then finally, number five, John bookends this application section with love. 
love. It's like a love sandwich, okay? Love and love and everything in between. And what does he say in verse 19 through 21? We loved, we love because, why? Because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you see how important loving others is? Do you see the emphasis that John puts on it? John bookends these applications together because they are a common theme that, that are in the, in the Christian life. They're of paramount importance. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says this, verse 12 through 14, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you forgive. But what does he say, verse 14? And above all of these things, above all of that, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love others. This is, this is the point that John is getting to. And we do this. Why do we love others? Why do we spend our life trying to, to, to love others and to show Christ? Why do we do this? Because God loved us first. And we see that in the gospel. And so believers, do you know the love of God? And, and if so, how, how does your knowledge of the love of God, don't just let it stay in your mind. Don't just let knowledge be knowledge. No, no, no. Make it practice. How should the knowledge of the love of God change the way that you view and change the way that you interact with other people? What is that perspective? How does that change our life? How does it change your life? We love because God loved us. And now our human love should be a reflection of God's love for us. May that be a reality in all of our hearts today. I hope that's an encouragement for you this morning. Let, let's pray, and then we'll go, go from there. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for, for showing your love through Christ and giving us an example to follow, but, but Lord, showing us why we ought to love other people. Lord, we need your grace to do this. We, we, we desperately need your grace to, to live like Christ. And so I pray that you would, you would empower us by your grace through the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ and to show the love of God to other people around us. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work in hearts. I pray that your word would not return void, but that it would, it would do a work. May your Holy Spirit continue to do work in, in all of our hearts today. Again, Lord, may you be glorified in everything that is said and done today. May we honor and lift up your name because of who you are, because you are love. Pray this in Jesus' name.